Thank you, guys. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 41. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Our focus last couple of weeks has been on the church of Antioch. And, of course, before there was a church at Antioch, there was the church at Jerusalem. Now, we know that as we talk about the origins of the church and the beginning of the church, that the church began on the shores of Galilee as Jesus began to assemble his saved, baptized believers into a nucleus of a group. But I would say we all know that this is probably where the church began to get a more of a cohesive form, more of an identity as a church instead of uh, as the, the loose band of followers of Jesus. And it was called, of course, the church, uh, really much at this particular time. So, no, this is where it began to get its identity. Now, these are the earliest days of the church, although it's not the beginning of the church. And it, the early picture of the church at Jerusalem is very interesting, and uh, we understand there was a church at Jerusalem. There was no building. There was no property. Just people. There were no long-standing traditions to lean on or to even argue about, like the music thing that seems to catch everybody's attention every now and then. None of that. Just people. Just people from all walks of life. And as we know in the early uh, verses of the book of Acts, there were people there from all over the world. There were people from all over the world, spoke different languages. They had different cultures. From all walks of life, we had rich people in the church all the way down to the poorest of the slaves, just people learning how to be the body of Christ. And this passage of Scripture gives us some essentials, the bare essentials of church in Acts chapter 2, verse 40. Would you stand as the Scriptures read, please? And they can uh, then those who are gladly received his word, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added unto them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among them all, as anyone had need, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pal together, please. Father, we thank you for church. Help us to understand what really matters at church, the essentials, what's really important. And help us, Father, to cling to these. Thank you that we have what's really important. We have the structure and the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would build this church. And we place all the programs and projects and goals and ambitions, all that we are and all that we have and all that we do in your hands, make us the church you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Bare essentials of church. First of all, genuine salvation. Those who gladly received his word. That means they believed what he preached. Did you catch the last verse that we read? The Lord added to the church daily. Who? Those who are being saved. Salvation is a prerequisite. Salvation has to happen first. Salvation is, of course, 
the number one thing we're concerned about as a church, genuine salvation. And it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, genuine salvation and biblical preaching. Above all else, what has to happen here is, a, is a, of course, an emphasis on salvation, and then after that, biblical preaching, because after we're saved, we need to grow. The only way we grow is through the milk of the word, the meat of the word, God's word to us. That has to be done. And then it says, and in fellowship. Fellowship. We're going to look at that here in a little bit. And the breaking of bread. That specifically looked at several uh, Bible scholars, New Testament scholars, and they were talking about the Lord's Supper, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. So I would say one of the essentials of church is the periodic reminders of Jesus Christ, which is what this is. And then it says, and prayers. Wow. Did you catch that? What was going on at the early church It's very basic functions of a church, prayers. They were a praying church. The emphasis was on prayers. So we have genuine salvation, biblical preaching, sincere fellowship, periodic reminders of Christ, which are the ordinances, and prayers. I want to look at this word fellowship. Of course, Baptists in most churches are real big on fellowship because we construct halls for fellowship. We call it the fellowship hall. Well, the word here is a Greek word called koinonia. It is used some 43 different times in the New Testament as a noun, a verb, or an adjective. Now, we could go through all of that, but I think the best way in, in, in just plain English to understand the concept and our awareness of fellowship is one another. Those two words, one another, are mentioned together like this 26 times at least through the New Testament. And I suppose if you could look at a lot of different ones, but I found a passage of Scripture that wraps up the true concept of fellowship, this word fellowship, and it's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Now, sounds familiar. We spoke with, in Romans chapter 12 this morning concerning the body of Christ, and we're all different. We all had different functions, but we're one body. And notice what he says about us all being different, all being part of the church, all being part of the body. And catch this as far as the, the essence of fellowship. In verse 10 or verse 12 of Romans chapter 12 says this. Let's go back to verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Did you catch that? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those that weep. 
We share each other's experiences. We share each other's pain. We share each other's joy and be of the same mind one toward another. That, of course, is the essence of fellowship. The early church, it says specifically, this was one of their characteristics. Above all these other things, they had fellowship. But what we're doing tonight celebrates the wellspring of fellowship. What makes fellowship possible? What makes it even possible for us from all walks of life and from all different backgrounds and all of us being different, different personalities and different abilities and different age groups? What, what gives us that common denominator that causes us to, to have that shared experiences of each other's joy and sorrow? What, what causes that? What, what allows that to happen? Turn to 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. Verse 3, Paul kind of, I mean, John kind of gives us the idea why he wrote the things that he was writing and sharing them with the church. He says this, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write that your joy may be full. We write these things so that your fellowship can be with us. In other words, he was talking about Christ, his experience with Christ. He said, I'm sharing these things with you so that we can all be of the same family so that you can experience what we're experiencing. So that we're having fellowship with each other, but we want you to be included as well. And so he was saying, fellowship with us, fellowship with the Father, and fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. But here's the clincher. Verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. What allows us to have fellowship with each other from all walks of life, from different cultures, from different perspectives? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. And when the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins, we're born again into one family. Regardless of where else we may come from or what other identity we may have, we are born again into one family, and we have fellowship with Christ. If I've got fellowship with Christ, and you have fellowship with Christ, well, then we have fellowship with each other. That's what John is saying. And what makes all that possible? He said the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. If you look at that, the punctuation, that's not a different sentence. That's all part of the same sentence having to deal with fellowship. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. It's all wrapped up. You can't separate the two. So the essential beauty of the Lord's Supper is a periodic reminder of the sacrifice of Christ that makes fellowship with God possible and makes fellowship with each other possible. 
because we can celebrate and enjoy our fellowship with each other. But may we never forget the price that was paid to make that fellowship possible. And that, of course, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, all the while we are celebrating the blood of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ that was sacrificed for our sins, we are strengthening our fellowship with each other by what we do here with the Lord's Supper as we celebrate our shared blessing of salvation. Because the word koinonia is translated fellowship in several different places of the New Testament. But you know that other that word is also translated into another word? And you know that other word is also a title or a name of what we do here tonight? Could we call this the Lord's Supper? How many times have we said communion? You know what communion comes from? That word that was translated fellowship. And when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he had all of his group all together in one place. And you see, as we do this, we celebrate our fellowship with Christ and we strengthen our fellowship with each other. That's why he said, do this regularly. And as often as you do it, remember me. Is there anything before we go into our observance of the Lord's Supper?